Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jonathan. I'm the executive pastor here at Pulpit Rock, and I'm really glad you're with us. We're going to launch a new series today. I'm excited about the series we're going to get into. But before we get into the uh, main sermon here, I just wanted to remind us of the foundation. At Pulpit Rock, we believe that there's this truth, there's this premise, there's this core that really guides everything that we do. It has to do with how we see ourselves. It has to do with how we see one another. It has to do with how we see the world around us. And the truth is this, is that you were created in the image of God. You bear his image, and he deeply loves you. And that's true of you, that's true of everyone that you come across, and it shapes how you see yourself, it shapes how we interact with other people, and it really is one of those foundational truths that guides everything that we do here at Pulpit Rock. I am super glad you're with us. We're going to dive into the subject of worship and launch a new series today that will go through the whole month of July. It's been years since we've preached on worship, and I think that's really too bad, uh, because I really think this thing called worship that we spend a fair amount of time doing is, is one of the most misunderstood and at times confusing aspects of our faith. Last week I said this, I was going to tell you the songs that Jesus really likes and the songs that he hates, and I'm not actually going to do that, but wouldn't that be nice? Like, wouldn't that be nice if you just open up Spotify and Jesus is like, my playlist, and you could just... Those are the ones you do. But he doesn't. And what we're left with is when it comes to worship, we have a lot to kind of figure out. And that's what we want to dive into today. Let me set up where we're going with the story. Do you ever have moments where you just think to yourself, maybe I'm not cut out to be a Christian? Am I the only one who ever thinks like that? I mean, I'm kind of joking here, but it's a disturbing thought, right? I remember a time in college when I had that moment. I was in the mountains at a conference, and uh, it it was one of those conferences where like, we had spent all day frolicking in the mountains with me and my fellow college students, and then we came back to the lodge, and there was like a a worship service at the lodge in the evening, and so we did some music, and we listened to a sermon, and it had been a long day at that point, but I was... I was tracking, I was taking notes, I'm, okay, this is good, let's wrap it up. Uh, And then the worship team got back up after the sermon. Um, And the worship team started leading worship, and it, I, I was tired I'll be honest, I wasn't feeling like worshiping the Lord. Um, I know it's super unspiritual, and I'm sure none of you have ever had this sort of thought, uh, but I was looking at my watch thinking, ah, when is this worship going to be over? Um, And I didn't feel bad about that, because I think even at that point, Jesus himself was kind of like, guys, wrap it up. The the manger's manger's calling here, guys. Let's wrap this thing up. And Maybe that's not what he was thinking. I I don't think he still sleeps in a manger, but I remember vividly. That was the moment. I'm looking at my watch. They're going on and on and on. And that was the moment that the worship leader started singing a song that we used to sing all the time. We don't sing it that often anymore, but every church used to do this song all the time called, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. (laughs) Do you remember this song? Right? As the name would suggest, it just kind of goes on and on and on. And after like 10 minutes of that song, have you ever done one of these while you're worshiping? <sighs> just a second, Lord. <laughs> and I'm just, I was just worn out and I wanted to go to bed. And uh, I, I, my heart was not in it. And then I remember vividly, the worship leader stops. And he does one of those things where all the other musicians stop and he's just on the guitar. 
And he says, hey, do you know that the Bible said we were created to worship? Is this how you play a guitar? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is. Anyway, he's strumming his guitar. He says, do you know the Bible says we were created to worship? Uh, and everybody says, amen, amen, you know. And he says, and do you know that in heaven, for all eternity, we're going to be worshiping the Lord? And I'm like, I did not know that. That, that was news to me at the time. Um, and then he said, won't that be so great? Um, we will get to do this for a million years. Like, it feels like we've already done this for a million years. And then we will just be getting started. Um, and everyone clapped, everyone hollered, you know, woo, we were college students, you know. Um, sensing some encouragement, he went on to sing that song for like 10 more minutes. And I started having really unspiritual thoughts at that point. Um, I started having thoughts like, man, if that's what heaven is like, what, what's the other option again? Is there... Like, is there an afterlife option where I can go to bed and get a solid eight hours? Because that's really all I wanted at that point. Uh, I was looking around, though, and it, it was one of those moments where you just feel like everyone has figured it out, but you haven't. And I, I kind of had this moment of, what's wrong with me that I don't love worshiping the Lord? What's wrong with me that I, I must be the worst Christian on the planet because everyone else is loving worship? And here I am, just sleepy. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where everyone else is connecting spiritually and you just aren't? Um, you know, it's true that God created us with this desire to worship, to express ourselves outwardly towards something. And we find that desire no matter who we are, no matter what we believe about God. But that desire to worship something is incredibly subjective from person to person. That's why one person's experience of worship can be transcendent and heavenly, and another person in the same room, same experience, can just be sleepy and ready to be done. I think this is why in most churches, worship is the single biggest source of conflict. And it's true, I've been a pastor for a long time. You have one person in a room who's like, oh my gosh, that is so loud, I can't even hear myself worship. And in the same room, someone else will complain, why don't we turn it up? God's all the way up there in heaven, we gotta crank that thing up. You have people who say, well, we're doing too many hymns, why can't we do something that connects with my heart? And someone else will say, why don't we do the foundation of the faith? Jesus sang hymns. I don't, I don't know if that's true. Uh, you have one person who says it's too fast, one person says it's too slow. Uh, after 18 years, I, th this is my conclusion. Uh, anyone who stands up here on stage and leads this thing we call worship has a lot of courage. Because in most churches, there is nothing that receives more criticism than what comes out of those speakers. Hug your worship team. Those are good, good people, and they need our encouragement. Um, what I think is really weird is that there's this thing that we were created to do that is supposed to be focused on God. It's not supposed to be focused on us. It's supposed to be focused on God, but it's subjective and it causes so many arguments and division. So what I thought we'd do over these next five weeks is just dive into this weird thing we do called worship. And what we wanna try to get is a little bit deeper understanding of what worship actually is. 
We're calling this series Coloring Outside the Lines because I think all of us, we kind of carry around this picture of what worship looks like. And I think for most of us, we're kind of trying to color in that picture of it. Hey, we should worship God. So I'm, I'm trying to color the picture, stay inside the lines. And when we get frustrated, it's because someone else comes along and they start scribbling all over outside of those lines. But I think the transition that God has for each of us on this journey with worship is a transition where he takes our picture like this and he replaces it with his picture that is always way bigger than our own. His picture always stretches us outside of the lines of our own picture of what worship actually means. You know, what that worship leader said to me in college was true. We are created to worship, and in heaven, we will be worshiping for all eternity, but this is also true. Worship is far bigger, worship is more mysterious, worship is more holistic than any of us ever could dream. And that's what we want to explore over these next few weeks. So let's go ahead and start at the beginning. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 1. Um, it's right, it should, right in the beginning. You know, it's the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1. Um, as you're turning there, let me give you just a quick, easy definition of worship. Keep us on the same page. Worship is expressing love, reverence, and adoration to God. It's just kind of a common understanding of it. And one of the great things about the first three chapters of our Bible is in those chapters, we get to see God's original intent for humanity in, cre in creation. We get to see this picture of life like before sin entered the world and everything got messed up. And worship, in fact, was a part of that picture. The original humans before sin entered the world, they worshiped. God. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, they were expressing love. They were expressing reverence and adoration to God. They worshiped. They may not have sung songs to God. I, maybe they did, but they were certainly worshiping God. And what we see is that the way that they worshiped God was tied to these three directives that God gives them from the beginning and says, this is what your life is to be about, and this is how you are to interact with me. So we're going to look at Genesis 1. We're going to start in verse 28. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, but whatever you have, we'll say generally this. God has just finished creating humans, and then he does this in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this is the first thing that God gives humans. And we kind of read this story pretty fast, but let's just pause there. The first thing that God gives these humans is a job to do. He gives them vocation is the word. And there's a lot that we could say about this job, but uh, basically the job is this. Take care of everything I've created. I made all this stuff. I'm putting you in charge. Take care of it. And we understand these statements like fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. God's not telling them exploit the world. What he's telling them is to be a caretaker, be a steward of everything that I have created. And so from the beginning, our understanding of what it means to be human is shaped by the statement. To be human is to realize that we have been given this job by God of caretaker. It's fundamental to humanity. Caretaker of other humans on the planet, caretaker of other animals on the planet, caretaker of the planet itself, that God created us for that job, and he put us in charge of that. And the first humans, when they worshiped God, when they expressed love and uh, reverence and adoration to their heavenly father, it was by embracing this job of caretaker that God gave them. That's the first part, but he gives them a second 
directive here. Look at verse 29. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird in the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So the first directive is, I have a job for you to do. The second directive is this, eat. Like that's the second command that God gives to these humans. He tells them, listen, I made all these plants. I made all this fruit. It's good for eating. You shall have this for food. And this directive is so simple. It's so obvious to us. Well, we need food to live that we just kind of skim past this. But it's really important. God says, I have made this stuff for you. Enjoy it, consume it, partake in it. And it's a command of permission. It's a command of enjoyment. God wanted there to be no mistake for these first humans that this was for them. This creation was for them and that they had permission to enjoy it fully, to fully enjoy the food and everything else that God had created. And so to be human, we recognize we have this job to do, but we also recognize this, that God has created things for us to consume, to enjoy, and to partake in. And when those first humans, before sin entered the world, wanted to worship God, it was tied to enjoying what he had created. That's the second directive that he gives us. Um, long before sin enters the world, God says to these humans, hey, here's how you can relate to me. Embrace your job as caretaker. Enjoy the stuff that I've created. And then he adds a third one in chapter two. So turn over a page to chapter two, verse 15. Um, he's gonna repeat the first two and then he's gonna add a third one. Verse 15 says, the Lord God took man uh, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That's that first one, job of caretaker. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. That's important. That's the second one. Enjoy what I've created. And then he adds a third one. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he repeats these first two, he adds a third one. And the third directive that he gives these first humans is a restriction. It's a prohibition. He says, hey, there's this thing, and I want you to avoid doing it. There's this one tree, just don't eat from that tree. And so for however long that lasted before they ate of the tree, their relationship with God was defined by these three directives. God gave them a job to do, God gave them stuff to enjoy, and God gave them something to avoid. And that was kind of the sum total of what he asked of these humans. And I think the problem is, because of the arc of the story, like we know where the story's going, right? Um, we tend to read this stuff as like a setup for the thing that God really wanted. Like God got these humans together and he's like, so listen, there's this job that I want you to do and uh, I made some stuff for you to enjoy, but whatever you do, don't eat from that tree. And that was the real point of the whole thing, was just, just, to get, just don't eat from the tree. But I don't think that's how God saw it at all. All three of these directives were central to the experience of being a human created in the image of God, deeply loved by God. He gave them all three directives. Um, great scholar Walter Brueggemann, he says it really well. Uh, he says this, human beings before God are characterized by vocation, permission, 
and prohibition. Primary human task is to find a way to hold the three facets of divine purpose together. Any two of them without the third is surely to pervert life. It is telling and ironic that in the popular understanding of the story, little attention is given to the mandate of vocation or the gift of permission. The divine will for vocation and freedom has been lost, and the God of the garden is chiefly remembered as the one who prohibits. That's often how we read the story. Now, Brueggemann, he's way smarter than me, um, but I think what he's saying is this is that one of the primary ways that we relate to God, one of the primary ways that we worship God is by embracing that which we were originally created to be. And not just focusing on parts of it, but by embracing all of it. You have a job to do, given to you by God. You have stuff to enjoy that God created for your enjoyment. And you have stuff to avoid that God asks you to stay away from. And if we want to worship God by the original definition of the word, the one that he gave the first humans, then we should embrace our job, we should enjoy our stuff, and we should avoid some things. That's how you worship in a nutshell. Now, we in the church sometimes, we subtly, without meaning to, I think, communicate that worship is about singing. But truly, worship was supposed to, from the beginning, be much bigger than that. What I want to do uh, today is just unpack those three a little bit, because I think there's fascinating things in each of these that we could grow in. Um, Let's consider that first one, for instance. We worship God when we embrace our job as caretaker, when we recognize that from the beginning, he gave us this job of caretaker, of steward. So that could be stuff that we do like planting a garden, like building something useful, like practicing medicine like educating other people, like protecting those who are vulnerable, like creating good food, like being a diligent student, like helping people make wise financial decisions, providing care for those who need it, fighting for justice, raising a family, coaching children, creating beautiful art. I I, I could go on and on, but whenever we embrace a job that we have with this mindset of a caretaker, we are worshiping. I saw this um, just a few weeks ago uh, in June with a team from Pulver Rock. We went to Ethiopia um, to visit our church partner there. Just If you don't know about that partnership, we have a partnership with a church called Lekukeda, and they uh, support with what's called home-based care 33 kids who have lost one or both parents. And so uh, through kind of our partnership and what this church does, these kids stay out of orphanages, stay off the streets, and just it gives them a little bit better chance at life. And uh, man, this church, ask anyone on the team, it's an amazing church. And the stuff they're doing is just mind-boggling for their community. We're learning way more from them than they are for, from us. But we, uh, we, we brought a resource with us in that we brought a medical team, and we did three days of a medical clinic with this church. Um, the whole team was great. Everyone did, did wonderfully. But for me personally... Like one of the coolest things on this trip was I got to bring my brother Nate, who's an emergency department doctor up in Denver, and we needed medical professionals, so he came with us. Um, like I know he's a good doctor because like I call him and I'm like, "What about this?" And he tells me stuff. Um, <laughs> but I, like I, there's never an occasion where I would see him be a doctor and do doctory type stuff. But on this trip, I like. I got to just watch him do his job, and I was blown away 
at his job. Um, between patients, I shot this little video of him while he wasn't looking. Um, here, here, I'll show you this. Put your glasses on. Yeah, put them on. Put them on. First of all, I love that little girl's laugh. He had these kids just dying and laughing the whole time. Um, and second of all, you can see why there was a lot of confused Ethiopians, um, because the two of us look somewhat alike. But um, <laughs> they're like, all you white people look the same. Well, two of us do. But. Um, so after we finished the clinic, we did that for three days. Fourth day, we were back at, at this church, and the pastor of the church comes up to me. He says, hey, there's a neighbor whose son is very sick. She wasn't able to come to the clinic because he was in the hospital, but now he's home. Could you go see her? Uh, and this woman, she doesn't go to the church. She's not a believer, but this church is just doing the neighbor thing that we've been talking about, so they care for her. So the pastor says, hey, I'd love it if you'd go see her, just see what you can do to help. So I grabbed Nate and grabbed a translator. We go to this woman's home. Um, and, and, you know, this, this is a part of some of the trip, but her son is just really sick. Um, and, you know, even in the U.S., his prognosis is just, just really bad. Um, and so we sat with her, and uh, Nate kind of examined her son and spent some time talking to him through the translator, spent some time talking to her and just encouraging her. And what was just amazing, just as his brother, is I just got to watch my brother do his job. And those of you in the medical profession, I know you do a lot of this, but it, like there's a part of the job where you're interacting with someone like on the worst day of their life. Um, and I, like when would you ever get to see that unless you were the person, right? Uh, but I got to just see my brother interact with someone on you know, one of the worst days of this woman's life and her son's life. And just the skill and just the care with which he did his job. I, it was it was breathtaking to me. It was worship in a way that no singing experience I've ever had was worship. It reminded me, God placed humans in the garden saying, keep it, care for it. There's a sacredness to work that I think we need to reclaim, that it was the first word out of God's mouth to us. And it's one of the main ways that we worship is by embracing this role of caretaker. It's worship. That's the first one. Then there's the second one. It's equally challenging, I think. We worship when we enjoy what God has created. We worship when we enjoy what God has created. This might blow your mind, but this is true. Engaging in things that fill us with joy is a form of worship. So that could be, uh, you know, by eating good food. That could be hiking in beautiful places. That could be reading a good book. That could be listening to great music or playing with our children. That could be singing in corporate worship. I think that's where I put that category. That could be visiting a brewery or competing in a sport or having a party or watching a comedian and laughing. That could be resting deeply. It could be exercising intensely. It could be going on a romantic date. It could be giving a gift. I could keep going, but the point is this. Enjoying something that God created is worship. 
And we forget sometimes that the second thing God said to us as a species is enjoy this food, partake of this. And we get kind of weird about this and we start to feel like, well, like if I'm enjoying it, then God must be against it. It's probably wrong, right? That's not true. In fact, he gives us this command to receive what he's created. And when we do that, it's worship. I have a friend who's a car guy, and he, uh, Corvettes is kind of his car, and he's always built and rebuilt Corvettes. And at, uh, at some point, you know, he'd always escape to the garage, and at some point he felt like God said to him, hey, what would happen if working on your Corvette was something we did together? You did it with me. And I, I didn't totally understand that. I'm like, what, what are you, like, going to pray? Lord, guide my hand as I install this caliper in the engine. Is that, is, is the engines have calipers? No. Do cars have calipers? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> if you come to the second service, I will get that right. Someone tell me an engine part. Anyway. But like, that, that seems kind of weird, but he said, no, 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 it's not weird like that. It's just simply this. It's recognizing I have this car and God wants me to enjoy it. Isn't that a revolutionary thought that God wants us to enjoy it? And instead of just being in the garage by myself, recognizing that God is with me, that he's present in that. And he said that totally changed his experience. You know, God created us with this capacity for fun and this desire to enjoy things. And he didn't put that in us just to get angry at us when we actually do. Our joy brings him joy. And when we engage in something and we enjoy it and our enjoyment is connected to him, his heart enjoys that. Let me tell you something you may never hear at a church, and you might not hear it at this church again when Thomas gets back. Um, I, I'm just kidding. He would totally be for this. But let me just say this. It, do you want to get better at worshiping? Here's a suggestion. Take out a piece of paper and write down the top five things you enjoy doing in life. Like, don't filter it and be like, well, prayer. No, like the actual top five things, right? Write down those five. And then the next time you feel like worshiping God, Pull that list out, take something on that list, and do it with your heavenly Father. And worship in that way. And don't manufacture it, but actually enjoy it. When you enjoy what God has created, you are fulfilling that second word that he said to us, and it is worship. So there's a job to do, there's stuff to enjoy, but then there's this last one. Um, we also worship by avoiding things that are destructive by abstaining from things that create bondage. And that was true even before sin. God asked that of us. So we do that by fasting from certain things, by giving of our finances, by seeking accountability for our lusts, by eating a healthy diet, by confessing our sins, by embracing a spiritual discipline, by following godly leaders, or going to therapy to deal with issues, by forgiving those who have hurt us by serving those we don't like, by welcoming those who are hard to be around, by honoring God with our sexuality, by serving when we'd rather be sleeping, or by staying present when life gets hard. We even worship by mourning and grieving instead of escaping. You know, another way to think of this one is whenever we choose to embrace the life that God has for us without grabbing for something that's not from God, that is an expression of love, reverence, and adoration. Just a few weeks ago, I was invited 
uh, by my friend Paul Reichert to a men's group that he attends in town. And, it, you know, real simple concept. These guys, they get up early on a Friday morning. They give up a little bit of sleep. And uh, they, they just spend time caring about each other. They're talking honestly about their struggles. They challenge each other to follow God. Uh, sometimes those simple things are the best things, just supporting each other as you try to live this life God's called us to. You know what didn't happen once during this gathering? There was no singing. Like, these guys didn't, like, practice their harmonies, and you go low, I'll go high. Is that a thing? Okay. Um, no, no guitar came out, and uh, it, they, they were absolutely expressing their love, reverence, and adoration for God. They were sacrificing something. They were worshiping. And we worship whenever we intentionally put something into our life that God has called us to embrace. When we put things in our life that help us live the life God's called us to, it is worship. So I want you to think about, look at these three directives together. Um, vocation, permission, prohibition. That's just kind of the fancy theological way of saying you have a job to do, you have stuff to enjoy, and you have stuff to avoid. Worship is expressing your love, your adoration, and uh, your reverence to God through those three things. And we need to realize this, that worship, it is way bigger than any of us thought. Worship by design is much huger than we ever dreamed. We were created to worship, and it's true that in heaven we will be worshiping God for all eternity, but that statement is not about singing together. And my hunch is when we get to heaven, it might look a whole lot more like the garden than like choir practice. And that's not a knock on singing. I love singing. But it's recognizing that what worship was intended to be in our life was this big whole life expression. Let me challenge you to do two things with this this morning and over the duration of this month. The first is this. I want you to pick an area to grow in worship this month. Don't say all three, just pick one. Maybe as I was walking through some of those options, you felt a little bit of a nudge from God saying, hey, maybe this is something I want you to build into your life. I want you to just pick one of those. And in July, I wanna, I wanna challenge you to just focus on worshiping God in that way and growing your concept of worship. But here's the second thing. I want to challenge you not just to try a new type of worship, but I want to challenge you to put your heart into worship this month. You know, I think we have to realize whenever we discuss worship that just because something could be worship doesn't mean that it is worship. And what happens when sin enters the world in just a few verses later is we gain this capacity to fake things. We gain this capacity to do an activity, but not really mean it. You may remember Matthew 15, Jesus, he quotes Isaiah the prophet. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that's possible for all of us. We can be singing at the top of our lungs and not really worshiping, right? So I think worship, we have to recognize, is always going to be this activity paired with a heart posture. And as we consider maybe some new ways to worship, we always want to make sure it's not just the activity, but it's connected to our heart. And the challenge with worship is really an inward challenge. I want to suggest something that might help. If you look over on that side of the room, over to the left of our cross, um, you'll see kind of a new feature in our auditorium, in our sanctuary here. Uh, we're just calling it a prayer wall. Uh, and what it is, is just a real simple idea. When we worship together, when we come together for corporate worship, we want to make space for your heart because we realize that worship starts with our heart. 
And so at any point during the worship service, at any time really, in, in the morning, uh, we want to invite you to go over there and there's these pieces of paper like this and you can write out kind of a heart prayer to God and you roll it up and you put it in the wire mesh there. Um, we all know this, sometimes our hearts, just like it was for me in college, is disconnected from worship. And we just kind of go through the motions. And when we recognize we're doing that, we want to pause. And maybe something like this would be a helpful way to reconnect our heart. I'm going to start, I'm going to write one today. It looks like someone has already written one. But um, uh, this, I think, is the prayer for us when it comes to worship. I think what God desires for us as a church, this is what I'm praying. One is just that we would avoid the typical worship wars all the arguments about songs and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think what God wants is that we would really embrace this really big definition of worship. And most importantly, I think he wants for us that our heart would be in it. And that when we focus on worship, what we're really focusing on is bringing our heart. I'm convinced of this, that whatever picture we have of worship, God wants to stretch us outside of the lines of that picture. I don't think he's worried about how well we're singing or how well we stay in the lines. I think he's worried about our heart. He wants to take us to new places of worship. But that brings us to a very familiar place in worship, the table. You know, the communion table is one of those few places that God actually says, hey, I want you to worship me this way and gives us some instructions. In fact, on the night uh, before he died, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, what this represents is this new covenant in my blood. And he said, whenever you do this, you're proclaiming the truth about me. You're proclaiming who I am and why I came. But again, it's, it's not just an activity. It has to be connected to our heart. I'm sure you know Maybe Paul, uh, later in 1 Corinthians, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Worship is that outward activity aligned with an inward posture. And as we come to the table today, I want to encourage us to put our hearts in it. And I want to give us space just to be with God and just to examine our heart. Uh, maybe you want to do that through just private prayer. Maybe you want to use the prayer wall um, and write a prayer but I want you to take some time to examine your heart and then Kevin will invite us to the table. Let's go to him.